I'll try it slow, not like last week where I woke everybody up right at the very beginning of the message. This morning, as Pastor Chad had mentioned, we did lose power a couple times. And uh, so if the storm is still going out there, I don't know, we can't hear it in here. If it happens that we lose power again, just stay in your seats, okay? We have a new policy today as far as bad weather is concerned. About 12 years ago, I was preaching in a morning service, if you remember here, and we had a tornado warning. And uh, we was in the springtime, so our summer people were still here, so most of the seats were still full. And we said, well, we all need to, we stopped the service, went down in the basement, and about the 500 people here, only about 100 went down in the basement. The other 400 of you just went home. So the policy is today, if we have an emergency, just stay in your seats, okay? And uh, we'll just muddle through. No sense in going down to the basement because none of you go there anyways. <laughs> so we'll just, I hope, if, we have a, if we've done it right, the floodlights will come on and just move closer. And we'll just keep right on going. How's that? All right. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, if you will. I have a very long introduction this morning. And we're going to take a look at just one small passage uh, through all of this, but I want to share with you this morning a message on the promises of God. And it won't be an, uh, obviously an all-encompassing message because that would take a very long time. And even though I have that kind of time this morning, you probably do not. So we're not going to go there. But we will cover some of the principles of the promises given here in Scripture. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a number of questions, but I want to ask the very first question here. And that is this. If God has promised to do everything he's promised to do. Now, I want you to think about that. If God has promised to do everything he's promised to do, and we, and we have confidence that God will do everything he's promised to do, you follow me so far? If God has promised to do everything he's promised to do, and we have confidence that he will do everything that he's promised to do, then we should know what God has promised to do. Amen? That makes sense? Wouldn't you think that's, that's true? Well, there are all kinds of promises God has made us, or made to us in the Scripture, from prophecy to the present. Uh, there, there are many. Do you realize God has promised to rapture the church someday? Amen to that? Do you realize that He's promised to destroy much of this earth and all who don't trust Him as Savior? Do you realize that that he has promised to return again someday? Do you realize that he has promised us a new heaven and a new earth? And the list could go on and on and on and on. The question is, do we live like we truly believe that God has promised to do everything he has promised to do? That's where the crux comes in. That's where it gets a little fuzzy, doesn't it? Do we really believe that God has promised to do everything he has promised to do? Well, what is it that God has promised you, and what is it that God has promised me in his word? I want to begin by looking at a few things, first of all, that God has not promised. How's that? So you don't get it mixed up. It's good to get some of these out of the way so we have a better understanding of what he has promised. Uh, because so often, so often, somehow, I'm not quite sure how this works, but somehow we put things in our minds that are just hard for us to grasp, and uh, Oftentimes, it's because we have a, a skewed idea of who God is and what his, how great his love is for us and for his people. 
There are many people who have been lied to. There are many people who have been led as well, or maybe they just believe that once they trust Christ as their Savior, they, they will have no more heartaches and no more troubles, no more suffering, no more illness, no more poverty or whatever. Everything will just be hunky-dory, I guess you could say. Everything will just be bliss once you trust Christ as your Savior. Well, most of us here know that's just not the case. Isn't that true? So what is it that God has not promised us? Well, one thing, the first one I want to look at, God has not promised us to make every believer wealthy. You understand that, right? I know all you wealthy believers don't understand that. Now, he has not promised, despite, despite what you may have heard from some of the preachers on TV, or maybe somebody else that you know, that God wants you to be wealthy, and he wants you to have all the nicest things, and sometimes the reason is, because if you have a nice home, uh, let, me, let me take that back, not a nice home, a beautiful home, an over-the-top home, and an over-the-top vehicle, and over-the-top playthings, that'll be such a great testimony to God to others. And the testimony would be is if you trust Christ as your Savior, you too can have those things. And that's just not so. That's not what God has promised. He makes no such promise in Scripture. However, God has certainly clearly blessed some people with a lot of wealth, but he doesn't promise it. He doesn't promise to. There's another thing God has not promised to do. He has not promised to heal every illness that you and I encounter. He's not made that promise. And again, despite what you may hear or what you have heard or maybe what you've seen elsewhere, God does not promise to heal you. He doesn't promise that. He can heal anyone. Amen? If he chooses to. And there are times God does miraculously heal some people. But he does not promise to do it. He has not promised to. There's a third thing he has not promised. And he has not promised to keep bad things from happening to you. Now that may come as a shock to you, but he's not promised to keep bad things from happening to you. How many here, I'm, this is like a general question, you really don't have to raise your hand, but you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. How many in here have had something bad happen to you since you've been a believer? Huh? Well, isn't that something? Think about that. He's not, he's not promised to keep bad things from happening to us. And, and, and many times some of us think, but I thought once I trusted Christ, once I trusted him as Savior, bad things would stop happening to me. Sometimes he does. Understand this. Sometimes he does prevent bad things from happening to us. Sometimes. Well, we, we all probably have a, a, some sort of testimony in how God has prevented something bad from happening. Isn't that true? You know, that semi was coming at me and and then I closed my eyes, and when I opened my eyes, he was past me. I don't know how he didn't hit me. Don't close your eyes if you ever have a semi coming after you. But you know what I'm saying? Something like that. We all have a testimony how God just kept us from something bad happening to us. But, in fact, I think oftentimes he, he protects us more, and we don't even know it from things. But listen to me. He hasn't promised to do that. He hasn't promised to keep bad things from happening to you. He hasn't promised to keep bad things from happening to me. Sometimes he does, but he hasn't promised it. There's a fourth one that I want to look at that God has not promised. He has not promised to reverse the consequences of, of unwise decisions that we make 
or the sin that we commit. He hasn't made that promise. And listen closely. When you, when you or I sin or make an unwise decision, we are, we are the first to drop to our knees, aren't we? And we say, oh God, get me out of this. Oh God, get me out of this situation. Oh God, get me out of this circumstance. Oh God, get me out of this trouble. God, if you get me out of this one, I will never do that again. Isn't that true? Aren't we oftentimes the first ones to do that? Or maybe we say, God, get me out of this and don't let anything bad happen to me because of it. You know, God hasn't promised that. He hasn't promised to reverse or, 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 or to do away with the consequences of our sin. Our sins are forgiven when we trust Him as Savior, but He hasn't promised to do away with the consequences of our sin or maybe some unwise decisions we've made. In fact, there's a little test I think we can use that, uh, uh, to see if the promises that we he read about in Scripture or that someone tells us, I should say, there's a little test in Scripture we can use to find out whether it is from God or not. And, uh, and, and it goes like this. It's real simple. Whenever you think you see one of God's promises or if you're searching for one of God's promises, take and compare that promise to the experiences of the lives of the apostles or maybe some other one who is very faithful in Scripture or the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Compare the promises. The Bible makes it very clear that the apostles were, were men who were totally sold out to Christ. Wouldn't you agree? And so, and so that's, that's a good example. They were, they were men of great faith who loved God deeply. And if you compare their promises to their lives or what you think might be a promise to their life or the Lord's life while he ministered here on earth, you can tell whether it is a true promise or whether it is not a promise. And let me give you some examples of that. If you remember in, the, uh, remember in the book of Acts where Peter is thrown into prison for preaching the gospel and he was, he was delivered out of prison in a miraculous way. If you remember, the, uh, the, the angel woke him up in the middle of the night. This is my rendition. It kind of kicked him in the side because he was sleeping pretty soundly. He said, you know, Peter, you need to wake up, get up, we're going to get out of here. And the chains fell off and he walked through the gates. Remember that story? He was put in prison because he was preaching the gospel. And an angel came, and he was miraculously uh, delivered out of prison for, that, for, for preaching the gospel. But think about this. The apostle James, he was doing the same thing. He was preaching the gospel. And what happened to him? He was martyred. The apostle John, he was spared his life, but he was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the gospel. See, God didn't promise bad things wouldn't happen to certain people. Correct? Sometimes it does. Sometimes he stops it from happening. Folks, think about this in Scripture. Some folks were healed by Jesus the apostles and some were not. Isn't that true? Do you ever wonder why? Why didn't Jesus just heal everybody he came come in contact with? Why didn't the apostles just heal the folks that they knew they could heal? and that they just came in contact with. Tell, please tell me, at least some of you thought, I wonder why they didn't do that. Think about that. Some folks were healed by Jesus, and some were not. There were times when Jesus would heal people all day long, and then there were times when he didn't do it. If you remember in John chapter 5, at the pool of uh, uh, Bethesda, the, Jesus went over a multitude of other people to get to this one man, and healed him. 
Now these people had been laying there wanting to get into the pool when the water was stirred, just as bad as this other guy. And Jesus walked over them to get to this one man and healed him. You ever wonder why? Why did he do that? I believe one reason is because God has not promised to deliver every person from their trials. And God, God, God has not promised to heal every person in this age. He can when he chooses to, when he will according to his will, but he has not promised to. He may choose to, but he's not promised to. It is not the time for that yet. We're not living in that day yet. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. So think about that. I want you to listen very carefully. And here's a very, very simple statement that I read somewhere, and I can't remember where, so I can't give it credit because I certainly didn't think of it. But I want you to, I want you to listen to it. It, it. The statement is, you can, we can ask anything we want of God, but we can expect what he's promised. Now think about that. We can ask anything we want of God, but we can expect what he's promised. You see, I believe the key for, for us to experience the fullness of God's promises is when you and I finally say in our lives, okay, God, not my will, but your will be done. When we come to that point in our lives to say that. And as long as you or I are in a tug of war with God, it is impossible to experience the promises of God with full joy. It's just impossible. So with all that being said, what is it that God has promised? Well, I think uh, the, certainly the promises of God are far, far too numerous uh, to say. But he has promised to, well, in Hebrews chapter, chapter 13, he said he's promised never to do what? Leave us or forsake us. That's a promise. And in, and in, in John chapter 3, he has promised to give us eternal life. Think about that. He's promised to meet our every need in Philippians chapter 4. Not our wants. He's promised to meet our every need. He's, he's promised to, de, uh, uh, to deliver us or provide a way of escape for us when we are tempted. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he gives us the desires of our heart if we delight in him. In Psalm 37, the list could go on and on and on with the great promises of God. And many of you know them. And I want to look at this passage here, though. We're finally going to get to it. I know you were wondering. But I want to look at this passage here. It gives us sort of an umbrella or a, an all-encompassing look at the promises that God has given us. And here in Hebrews chapter 4, I want you to look with me. We're going to look at verse 13 and then go on from there. Because I want you to get an idea of who we're talking about here. And here, of course, they're talking about Oh God, it says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, in verse 13, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Then he says in verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then look at verse 16. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that, may we, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me give you just real quick background. Here the book of Hebrews is, is given to believing Jews who were struggling with unbelief, like many people today struggle. The Christian faith didn't seem to be 
didn't seem to be working for them, and therefore the writer of Hebrews here hopes to encourage them, hopes to clear up any confusion by explaining to them what they can expect from God. And I want you to look at this again. You see, you see the person who decides what is good for you and the person who decides what is good for me, as we see here in verse 15, we see who, who it is. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Our confession. That person who knows how we feel, how do we know he knows how we feel? Because Chris already mentioned it in our song, but also here in verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he understands how we feel. So when we're thinking about the promises of God, we've got to think about Jesus knows how we feel. He knows everything about us. He understands the situation we're in. Okay, you got that in your mind? Because that's important to keep in your mind when you're wondering, is this a promise God has given me? To understand he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to spend the night alone dreading the, the events of the coming day. Jesus knows what's that like, what's, what's, what that's like. And when you're sometimes going through life and you're not looking forward to tomorrow because of some meeting you may have to go to or, or something somebody said or, or a court date or whatever the case may be, Jesus understands what that's like. He knows what it's like to watch your friends walk away from you in your time of need. That happened to him. He can sympathize with that. He knows what it's like to live with incredible stress. He had the weight of sin that the whole world placed upon him. He knows what it's like. You see, so when we're looking for the promises of God, when you understand that, we need to know that the person who decides what is good for us or not knows exactly how we feel. You got that? Because if you don't get that, you're going to miss this next point. Because verse 16 says this, after we understand he sympathizes with us, with our weaknesses, he knows every, 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 everything we feel. He says, let us then with confidence, or some translations say boldness, let us then with confidence or boldness draw near to the throne of grace. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So that we may obtain or receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Listen closely. Just just look up for a second. This is the key phrase. This is what God promises. You see, the promise is not that you will find deliverance in your time of need. He doesn't say that. The promise is not that you're going to find your circumstances rearranged in your time of need. He doesn't say that. None of these things are promised. What is promised is that mercy and grace you will find in your time of need. Do you see that? The one who knows you, the one who, the one who decides what is good and what is not good for you, promises that when you are in your time of need, you will always find mercy and grace. That is what he's promised. Now think about this. What mercy, think, think about what mercy is. Mercy is a, a concern or a feeling for someone else. It's knowing that it's knowing that God will see you through your circumstances. Isn't that good to know? Isn't that a good promise to know that God will see you through them? Not change them necessarily, but he will see you through them. Maybe it'll be a, maybe it'll be a I don't know, a, an unexpected check in the mail because you're struggling financially. 
Maybe it'll be a, a, just a hug from someone that, that you need at a certain time. When you, when you need it most, someone just says, and just gives you a hug. Whatever it is, God has promised to see you through it in your time of need. You know what God is saying here? Saying in Hebrews? He says, when you come to God, when you come to God in your time of need, mark this down, you will always find from your Savior mercy and grace. You can count on it. That's what you'll always find. And what's grace? What's the grace he's talking about here? Well, it's, it's the power, I guess you could say, it's the power of God that, that comes to bear in our circumstances. And the usual or the, the, the uh, very general term is unmerited favor, God's unmerited favor that he bestows upon us. There's universal grace, saving grace, sustaining grace, that kind of grace. That's, did you know, the, you know the people who amaze me most, and maybe you too, are, are those are those who are going through life's trials, are going through some sort of tragedy, are going through the pressures of life, and they say things like, you know, God continues to give me the grace to endure. And, and then they say something, he is so good to me. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? You're in misery. And they say, God is so good to me. Folks, that's the promise of God. That's the promise of God. It gives us a sense of peace that, that defies explanation. Because when we are in our time of need, what can we count on? What can we expect? What is his promise? He has promised to give us mercy and grace. And some of you may be sitting there saying, you know, Pastor Ron, that's, that stuff is fine and sounds good on Sunday morning, but you don't know my circumstances. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't understand what's taking place in my life. And you know what my answer is to that is? That is true. I don't know. I may not understand. But I do know what God promises. And so do you now. I do know what God promises. And God promises that you'll find grace and mercy when? It says it right there. In your time of need, you'll find grace and mercy. Now, as you read through your Bible, you'll find other promises that seem to be made to you as well. You're going to find that many of these promises, many of these same promises, fall under the canopy, if you will, like I mentioned earlier, or, or under the umbrella of mercy and grace in your time of need. Think about this. God promised to be the father to the fatherless. Amen? Isn't that mercy and grace? You know, God promised not to let any uh, temptation overtake you uh, that, that you can't escape from. Isn't that mercy and grace? He promises to, to give us victory over sin. Isn't that mercy and grace? And here again, I think the list can go on and on. That little phrase, mercy and grace, is really a, a summary statement, if you will. It is really what we can expect in this age as believers. He doesn't promise to, to change the situation. He doesn't promise to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to rearrange things. He doesn't promise to, to get them out of your way. He doesn't promise they won't happen to you. But he does promise that you'll receive mercy and grace in your time of need. 
Well, that brings us to a problem, I think, or at least made me think of one as far as applying this to our lives. You see, if you're like me, if you're like me, I don't often just want mercy and grace in my time of need. Isn't that true? I want intervention. I want, I want something to happen, right? I want God to inter- intervene. I mean, I mean if, 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 if I were you, God, and I knew what I was going through, and, I was, and, and what was happening to me, I would do this or I would do that. I want God to intervene in my life. Oftentimes, I'm not content with mercy and grace in my time of need. Here's the tragedy of this. When you and I are, refuse to be content with the promises of God, because that's what He's promised, we oftentimes step out of a position of experiencing the blessings of God. And this is what happens. Then we're full of turmoil, and we're full of anxiety, because we don't want mercy and grace we want intervention. Here's something that we need to understand because I believe Scripture is real clear on this. This is the age of grace. That's what we live in. We live in the age of grace. And there is coming a day, though, and there is coming a time of intervention when Christ returns. And that will be a great day of intervention when Jesus comes and puts an end to all sin and all sorrow and all death and all evil and all those things will be taken care of Our problem is we want to experience that age of intervention now. And every once in a while, he does do something in a miraculous way, and he does intervene. Sometimes I think he does it just to show us, do do you see what's coming? You trust me, trust in my promises, because there is a day coming where you think this little miracle was something, wait until I show up with all my power. But that day is coming. That day is not here yet. And that's what we have to understand. For now, we live in the age of mercy and grace. And he says to us, I want you to trust me. I'm giving you, I'm giving you this opportunity. I'm not, giving you, I'm not giving you what you deserve. I'm giving you what you don't deserve. An opportunity to have your sins forgiven. An opportunity to have them washed away. To know me as Savior. And to have the promise of eternal life. So until I, till I do come and intervene, this is your time to trust me. This is the age of grace. It's not the age of intervention. Think about this. Here's a question, especially directed to all you who know Christ as your Savior. Aren't you glad he didn't intervene before you trusted him as Savior? You ever think of that? Hmm? Oftentimes it's kind of like, hey, now that I'm in, you can come back now, Lord. Keep in mind, once he comes back to intervene, once this, that time changes, those who don't know him as Savior and have heard the gospel can never know him as Savior. Because that ends the age of grace. So, when Jesus came the first time, he came as a Savior. When he comes the second time, he'll come as a king and as a judge to intervene. Now, let's take this a step further. And I'm probably, you're probably thinking, I wish he wouldn't, but I want you to think about this. If we want to go this even further and be truly honest, we often don't usually want all that much intervention either, right? 
We want just a little, maybe just a little push, and then we can take it from there. Correct? In fact, some would feel that if God intervened right now with all his power, we wouldn't see it as an intervention. We would see it as an interruption in our lives. That's because our lives are so fixed, I think, on temporary things in life. Here's an example of what I mean. I really, I really want God to limit your free will, okay, for getting through your circumstances so it doesn't mess up my life. That makes sense? I'm all for him limiting your free will so it doesn't mess up me or my life. I, I, really, I really only want God to, to limit yours. I want God to get you through your circumstances so it doesn't mess me up. It's amazing that when, you, when, when, when something bad is happening in our lives, we say this, God, where are you? God, where are you when I need you? Please do something. But have you, ever, have you ever been doing something bad, something sinful, and ask, God, where are you? Huh? God, where are you? I can't believe you're letting me do this. Why, why don't you stop me? No, it's always, why don't you stop them? Why don't you stop them from doing this? Or why don't you stop them from doing that? It's messing me up. So what I really want sometimes is I want you I want you to have mercy and grace but I want intervention just a little bit of it so we pray or at least we pray for others we say oh God give them mercy give them grace to endure this trial to endure this this circumstances in their life but when we pray for ourselves we say oh God intervene show up do something Fix this for me. Isn't that true? Sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. But many times he doesn't. Because he has reserved that for an age yet to come. Look back at our, in Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 14. I want to read this again just before we close. Since then we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is what God's promised. Let me ask you, are you trusting in God's promises? Or do you have a you have a view of God as some sort of uh, a wish granter or like a genie in a bottle. Remember, remember, God loves us and he allows only the best for us and in, 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 in finding his grace and mercy is enough for you and me in our lives in our time of need because that's what he has promised. It just makes sense when you put it all together. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? You have to answer that question yourself. No one can do it for you. And if it's yes, the answer is yes, then something will begin to happen in your life that will change it forever. And he promises to give us mercy and grace in our time of need. Let's bow our heads. We'll have a word of prayer. Father, 
we are grateful for your promises. Father, we're grateful that you supply all our needs. We're grateful for the promises, that you, the, the numerous number of promises that you give us in Scripture. But Father, help us to realize the truth of them. That when we're going through a, a tough time, a difficult time, when we're in time of need, you do promise to give us mercy and grace. And we can count on that. We can live on that, Father, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.